welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. And we are back here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast Chip Patterson here. Barton Simmons there. Uh, we Happy Tuesday to you. It is uh, Tuesday afternoon as we are coming to you. We've got a lot of news to hit. We've got some cancellations as Hurricane Florence is bearing down on the East Coast. We've got some injury news as, uh, again, costly week two as we touched on in the recap episode. And now we've got some announcements about the severity of some of those injuries. We want to need to talk about uh, what Pat Fitzgerald thinks a modern offense has to do with communism and more. But we begin. Barton, how are you doing, man? Uh, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm really good. I feel I feel energized on this. Where, uh, what is it, Tuesday? Yeah. If, if last week was so short. Like with the Monday was sort of, it was sort of a kind of a Sunday for me, and then we got into Tuesday, and I felt very rushed and uh, hectic, and my my picks on Thursday, my locks really suffered because of it. I feel much more in control of my week right now, so I'm in good shape. I like to hear that, and this is uh, this is <laughs> as we finally start to uh, settle into the rotation. Like, are are you feeling like you're already ahead of schedule for your picks at this point in the week? Monday was like a it was a it was a real self evaluation day. A lot of self scouting <laughs> was done, uh, and so I I've made sure that I got way ahead of the game. I, I don't have my picks yet, but I'm gonna be I'm gonna be exhaustively prepared uh, for for week three because I, I I let I let things slide a little bit last week. All right, um, let's let's start off by hitting some news. Number one, Adrian Martinez officially day to day says Nebraska quarter Nebraska head coach Scott Frost, the freshman quarterback, left the game against Colorado with an injury, and he has turned in some footage of the play where Martinez was injured, which shows uh, a Colorado player. Apparently there's one angle. And again, Scott Frost did a good job. I thought Barton of not alleging to reporters uh, that it was a dirty play, but it does appear based on the video that a Colorado player uh, sort of twists Adrian Martinez's leg awkwardly. And so uh, thankfully no major damage to Martinez. I, I don't know if we, are expecting him to play this weekend. The Cornhuskers will be taking on Troy. Andrew Bunch will be in there. If not, um, did you were you surprised at all to hear that we might be seeing Martinez? And uh, what's your what's your crystal ball say about what Scott Frost wants to do with that quarterback position? I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm very happy to hear Scott Frost say. Basically, he said they got as good a news as as they could have possibly gotten. Right, which is great. Great for us. We get to watch some more Adrian Martinez. That dude was really good in week one. Uh, they're going to get some reps for some of those other walk-ons and get somebody else ready. But look, man, Andrew Bunch, it's his time. 41 touchdowns, four interceptions as a senior in the state of Tennessee, 15-0 state champions. I think it was 15-0, undefeated anyways, at Independence High School. Uh, so the kid, can, the kid can sling the rock. So I think that uh, I think that they can win handily against Troy. Uh, whether they got Adrian Martinez or not. Wow. So, um, but hey, again, if, if 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 Bunch goes down though, that's a different, that's a whole different deal. But because then they're going Wildcat situation. Yeah. Then then then, then uh, right. 
then we may have a running back back there just uh, zone reading it the rest of the way. Do you did you see anything um, from the from the way that Scott Frost was talking about that? It, I got the idea that he is going to be based on his own history. He's he's going to be the first to start uh, caping up for his players if they if he thinks there was anything dirty. Like, do you think that any of his any of the players? The Nebraska players came back from the being on the field and even pointed to it, or Adrian Martinez knew something about it because he was that that became the story this week. Not just Martinez's right. status, but just the fact that a potential dirty after the whistle type play ended up being why he was hurt. Yes. That was yeah, I think you, you I think you nailed it. Like that's that feels like Scott Frost, like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna cape up for my players when when necessary and and, and fight that fight for him. I think it's funny in a way, like Mike McIntyre, for being sort of uh, just soccer dad, mid forties, unassuming looking dude. Oh, like I, I feel like he's always like find himself in the middle of like controversy, um, and he 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 squashed it on his end pretty quickly. He was like, "We looked at it. We're moving on. There's nothing to be done on our end." Sort of like, "Get out of here with that nonsense, bro." Um, uh, but I just think it's 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 sort of funny how how we always like this is this is an inordinate amount of like just sort of controversial things Mike McIntyre's been in the middle of, which is kind of surprising. Like he he's a he's a really honest guy who you would allow do your mortgage, but then all of a sudden you find out on Saturday night he cheats at poker. Right, right, and that's what it is. It's 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 something like cheating at poker. It's not it's not strip club or or. Uh, or you know prostitutes it's uh it's just something like you know he uh he sometimes will steal you know vegetables from his neighbor's garden or something weird right. like that and and i will say that in the uh you know in, in the name of of you know making sure that everything i know is also built into the take here uh, i i will not compare uh the alleged mishandling of abuse allegations from the girlfriend of a Colorado assistant as like stealing vegetables from the produce section. That was a very complex and complicated situation onto each other, but you're right, you know, major or minor, it seems like McIntyre for as much of a, for as much of someone who, who was a champion of so many when he was almost the unanimous coach of the year in 2016. Yeah, he does. Let's, let's maybe not crown him the golden boy anytime soon. Right. Or like he'll hang up on like I've heard him like hang up on radio interviews when like they ask him, you know, a, a pretty like, you know, non non offensive question, you know, just like something about like job, you know, people seeking him out as for job opportunities or something. You know, it's just like it, it, he he's he, it's it's fascinating how he's he can be a little bit abrasive for like a pretty unassuming looking dude. Oklahoma running back Rodney Anderson out for the year. Uh, this is incredibly disappointing because this is his third major injury that he's suffered since committing to Oklahoma and he's going to be done for the year. Maybe he ends up going to the NFL draft. Maybe he ends up coming back. Um, This was a player who I think we both targeted as being crucial to this Oklahoma offense, not just for his own ability, but just for being a, a steadying presence. And you know, when it, when Kyler Murray, uh, doesn't have to do it all. Oklahoma's offense, I think, is going to be better. Rodney Anderson was a part of that. How does his absence 
Uh, and how does the Oklahoma running back position going from Anderson to Trey Sermons, how do you sort of calculate that in your own ranking or rating of the Sooners? Yeah, I think, I mean, look, I think it, it limits their depth. And I think that kid's almost perfect for that offense in terms of the versatility he brings and what he can do. So I think it's not insignificant. I don't know that it's just sort of like something you can just brush off. I think all their goals are still intact. But Trace and Trey, but I also think Trey Sermon is is extremely capable and is really good. Uh, but he's not Rodney Anderson, and so um, I don't know, man. Like it'll be, uh, it, it's it's a next man up deal, and and I think that Oklahoma has recruited pretty well at the offensive side of the ball. So I I don't I don't expect this to to limit them. It just it just sort of um, it just stings. I think it does sting, and it and it, and it hurts again. If we look at this from a college football fan's perspective, it just sucks to not see Rodney Anderson out there this fall. The uh, I I was running in my head, and this is might be an outrageous take, but it, Oklahoma has had good running backs as long as it's had an explosive offense. You know, they have had lots of solid running backs who are able to get in there. They normally finish the year with, you know, they might have two guys that have about six, seven hundred yards. Sometimes it's a committee approach. But I think that if Rodney Anderson had been healthy for an entire career, he could have gone down as you know one of those top backs of the last you know twenty years or so, like in, in line with a uh, Demarco Murray. I mean, he might not have been the talent or the dominance of Adrian Peterson, but that that sort of next shelf where you go back and with like the Oklahoma All Americans or the Oklahoma running backs that end up making it to the NFL, Samaj P. Ryan. I think that could have been Rodney Anderson, and it stinks now because you're like, man, this is. Uh, I, th- I think Trey Sermon, it can be very, very good. It is next man up, but I do view him as a little bit more of maybe a 700, 800-yard back who is in that line of very, very good Oklahoma running backs uh, that have been in there between the ones that were really special. I think look, I think he's – yeah, I, I think DeMarco Murray is probably a good comparison to sort of what kind of career he could have had if he stayed healthy. Um you know, you look at who they again. Trey Sermon's the next guy up. T.J. Pledger maybe gets a sniff now. A true freshman, maybe Kennedy Brooks, sort of a bigger body can can do a little damage. Uh, Marcellus Sutton certainly is going to be called upon. Uh, former JUCO kid that's that's got some some juice to his game. They got some bodies, but but I don't I don't think any of them are objectively close to Rodney Anderson was it Trey Sermon may be close but Rodney Anderson I think is pretty special yeah I agree with you there and if and listen um you know we we'll we'll continue to explore uh some of these themes related to the Sooners as the season goes on and I think that if there's one immediate uh strong sort of national perspective take I think that Rodney Anderson to Trey Sermon and I would love to be wrong about this but I think that it to me is the difference between I'm willing to consider Oklahoma right there in the mix with an Ohio State, a Clemson, a Georgia, and Alabama to know they're just probably the next best team outside that tier. Well, I also think though, to me, I think probably OU is a program based on what their offense is and the different opportunities that they give their their playmakers probably the type of program that like it's it's not as if they're lining up in like the eye true and they're just yes. like handing it off and just saying go get us go get us 150 yards big daddy like they're 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 putting these they're, they're like 
Lincoln Riley gives his playmakers opportunities, and I think th- those opportunities are still there if it's not Rodney Anderson. And so, I guess I'm not I'm not as concerned as this for of this position at OU. You can almost just put player, you know, create a player at X in there, and and they'll be okay. Like to me, OU and the skill position is 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 going to be fine. A much tougher uh, player to replace. Uh, Daniel Jones out indefinitely. Duke also loses one of its key players on defense in the defensive backfield. This was, uh, we mentioned it in the recap episode. By the way, thanks to all of you who have been uh, listening to the recap episode. Keep going down and downloading it. That stuff stays fresh for a week. Just keep hitting it. It's right there. It's it's there in the feed. Go download it. Um, Daniel Jones, with Duke without Daniel Jones, this is the kind of thing that totally changes my perspective on the Blue Devils from, man, you know, if they if they go, they beat Army, Northwestern, and Baylor, then they they could be in for a special kind of season, an, an eight win, even a nine win type season. Without Daniel Jones, Barton, this I I totally reversed my course here. We've seen the Baylor line already set at Baylor being favored in that game, and now that lines up to seven at some oh, I mean, oh man, that, that's pretty telling right there. So what I mean, what's your it's it's his non based on what I saw in the game. I think it, I think the injury is to his the clavicle on his non throwing side. He it is unknown if he will work his way back, but this feels like something that we're going to be monitoring him throwing through October and November. And if he comes back, then it's hard to know what to expect from him. I can't help but feel like this totally changes uh, the outlook for the Blue Devils this season. Yeah, I mean at least they at least they. St- squeezed out two wins to start the year but not to be selfish about this but my 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 over six win total pick is suddenly uh i'm a little worried about um because i do think they could lose this weekend to to, to baylor and you know when you get in those acqc games i think when you don't have daniel jones you got a bunch of toss-ups all of a sudden like daniel jones was sort of what the bet was you're betting on daniel jones to be the guy that duke keeps on telling and by by the way, like Mark Gilbert isn't a small loss either. No, I mean, that guy's that guy's a, a pretty elite defensive back, and so there, there's I think there's some uh, of all the injury hits over the weekend. This may be the most impactful in terms of the the teams that were impacted by injury. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. That was that was the one where you you take the team's ceiling and you make the biggest adjustment to what it could be. Where right. now? Now all of a sudden, uh, you're you're not looking at Duke. You're not looking at that Virginia Tech Duke game, the one that's going to be played in Durham. Where I was definitely like, uh oh, watch out, that could be a game. Now you're not thinking that at all because you're going to bring in a limited quarterback who's mostly going to be a rushing threat, and he's not going to be able to bring any stress to the defense. And here comes Bud Foster, right? Yeah, yeah, and and. However, like that, that said, look, they can figure out a way to win still. And so I'm not, I'm not ruling them out of any game that they're playing. It's just like you said, I mean, when you're in settings like that, when you're, when you're looking at Duke as I, I picked them second in the division. And so when you're looking at them in that, with that kind of optimism, it's, it's kind of dampened at this point. All right, let's uh, let's let's go to uh, the yet to be sponsored hotline. So, if you want to sponsor this hotline, we're gonna be playing uh, some sound from Pat Fitzgerald, 
And I, uh, I want Barton. I want you to tell me what you think about this. Leah, you're not prejudiced at all on the whole RPO thing since you played defense and you're now ragging on offensive linemen, guys like me. I mean, yeah, it's communism. I mean, I mean, it's a pure RPO is the purest form of communism. I mean, I don't understand how offensive linemen can be downfield. I know. Oh, I know. Well, it used to be when you and I played. When you tripped and fell down, it was an illegal man downfield. Now, if you're just an uncovered lineman and you go 2.3 yards, it's not a penalty. But if you go three, it is, and nobody can see it till after the ball's thrown. So, again, it's the rules. You can you can you can complain all you want. I mean, if I want to get it fixed, I guess I can beg to get on the rules committee. But uh, it's it's the most in vogue change I think in football that if you're a purist of football, it's not the game. It's not. I mean, met, people downfield blocking and the ball being thrown should be illegal. But as a defensive head coach with defense in my background, we will absolutely 100% take full advantage within the frameworks of the rules that are given to us. So RPO forever. <laughs> RPO forever. Yeah, yeah. Ending it with the RPO forever and a fist pump. In case you haven't seen the video clip, uh, really was was a nice touch from uh, from Pat Fitzgerald right there. So our thanks to the Big Ten Network for the audio. Uh, Barton, what you think? I don't know. Can you explain to me how what, how like the, what the parallel is from RPO to communism? You're I think, smarter than me. No, how does you, that work? I, how am I smarter than you? <laughs> I, I just think he says he's going for an anti-American jab just here. Basically, yeah, it's just anti-American. I yeah. think that's what it is. You're I think right. yeah. I, yeah, that's all I got from that. And, and communism was the first thing that came to mind. I think he he's trying to say that uh, football is under attack and RPO is the thing that's attacking it. So like the the the, the economics mechanically speaking like it's not necessarily communist but it's just not it's just not apple pie and ball games like we've we've, we've grown to know and love uh no actually agree. rpo if you think about all the different options probably is more capitalist uh than communist yeah just less regulation right yeah right <laughs> like stop the oversight <laughs> uh, um yeah, I, I I'll say this as a former defensive back, I do look at because I, I I sort of predated the RPO era, I very much so predated it, and I can't I got you do look at film sometimes now and you see alignment like five yards downfield, and that's a that, that's a run read like you're downhill and you see it. that's a whole that's like what you're looking at is like you're looking at the offensive line as a safety and you're reading run pass. And then your and then your eyes shift to 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 your to your pass threats. If you're getting a guy firing off the ball, coming five yards downfield, and then they throw it behind your head, what the hell are you supposed to do? It really is. I can understand the frustration there. It's a little bit wild, but uh, and and I also appreciate the color. Yeah, that's Pat Fitzgerald's the dude. I like him. <laughs> I think that uh, the funniest thing about RPO is not happening at the college level where I do think it is more understood, but have you noticed the obsession during the first weekend of the NFL this year, how every commentator wanted to try and point out RPOs every time they saw one? They love it, man. This is not like, I feel like we're a year or two into that. We're just NFL commentators are just loving the RPO. And we started, I guess they're, they're now what maybe the college commentators were a year or so ago. Like I remember, I remember. Uh, <laughs> I have a tendency to pick on Mac Brown on this pod, but I remember uh, maybe it was two years ago. But it might have just been as early as last year 
where Mac Brown was on a broadcast and he and he literally was like, "That's what they call a PRO." <laughs> it's a and, and like butchered the term, and it was like, "Man, you're just like you're, you're just excited to have learned this new this 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 newfangled deal that they're you know." And and the reality is like it, this has been going on in high school since I was calling games probably ten years ago in high school when they're you know you'd see Rush Probst and and um, North Gwinnett and uh, whoever running package plays and bundled plays that sort of were an RPO type of uh, of system as well and it's it's just continued to sort of trickle up. Well, it's uh, there at the position when uh, even at the college game, remember where everything was a zone read. Right. It was, right. It was like anytime a quarterback ran, oh, look, it's the zone read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, the do you foresee uh, a situation where – because as, as the Philadelphia Eagles and as uh, many of the more modern uh, NFL offensive minds have figured out ways to bring the RPOs to the NFL, do you foresee a situation where they would bring it back so that they – they are dealing with the one yard offensive lineman d- downfield instead of three. That the NFL would be no that because the NFL is already at one. So do you no. think that could you see uh, the defensive side of the coaches and the AFCA being able to to usher in legislation about hey let's let's go right to let's let's get to where the pros are and let's just go one uh, yard. I don't know who are the big who are the big heavy hitters in college football right now. Obviously, it's Nick Saban. He's a defensive guy. I'm sure he wants he wants RPOs cut out. He doesn't want tempo. He wants you know it's all about safety of the, of the game for him. But who are the other big swingers? Uh, the, I thought Pat Fitzgerald would be. As, I mean, Urban Meyer's an offensive guy. That's that's another one of the big the big the big time guys. I mean, Chip oh. Kelly's going to push for RPO. Uh, friendly flexibility yeah. yeah uh i don't know i feel like there's you know i now we got kirby on on nick's side um so i don't know i think i think ultimately it's just a it's a it's like a um you know we got you got the 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 dc lobbyists it's like you know who who's who carries the most weight i think right now you still got nick saving carrying the weight maybe he can trim it down but um I don't know, getting a lot of offensive head coaches these days. All right. Uh, one of the things that we are um, we, we enjoy doing and we enjoy delivering to you, the good listeners of the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, is always to go a little bit in-depth and give some players some shine because it's not always uh, the big brand-name players and the names and the graphics that are used by uh, our network and others when they're advertising games. That's not everyone who is making a quality contribution to the team in order to help that team go out there and have success on the field. So Barton and I, we're going to try to bring you some of that same spotlight that you get with Camp Buzz. We're going to give you players that are making a buzz on into the regular season. Barton, do you have your list of breakthrough performers? Uh, yeah, I've got a handful. I got a handful of guys that I think are uh, are, are are breaking through in front of our eyes. And they're not, you know, to me, these guys are, some of these are sort of high profile, big market programs. A couple aren't. Um, but they're all guys I think that are currently underappreciated nationally. You know, the local program gets who they are, but I think by the end of the year, all these guys will get be guys that like everybody knows. Yeah, I agree. So we'll, That's the way I approach this too. 
yeah, yeah. Talking about players that are buzzing. You go first. Uh, all right. Uh, well, I think anyone that wa- – like we've been talking a little Nebraska and anybody that watched that game will know this guy uh, for the other team, uh, LaVisca Chenault. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wide receiver who is – I mean, he's been – He's been kind of kind of sick early in the season. Um, two games uh, against Colorado State, he had 11 catches, 211 yards, and a touchdown. Against Nebraska, he had 10 receptions, 177 yards, and a touchdown. They'll even throw him back there in Wildcat every once in a while when they need a big play. Big old dude. DeSoto, Texas, uh, had some offers, picked Colorado, and and they they love him. And he's he, he I mean hey. Like Nebraska couldn't stop him, and Steven Montez could be on this list too as a quarterback that can deliver him the football. That's why, like, if you want, Colorado is go like when we. I think when people looked at Colorado before the season, there wasn't a a common sort of understanding of how good Steven Montez was, and there certainly wasn't that sort of understanding on Lavisca Chenault. And so, I think if if you if we some knew, or if the general public knew what these two guys were before the season, I think the, the Colorado perception would have been a lot higher preseason. And now, now that we know they are, like I think that you can look at Colorado and be like, all right, who in the, who in the, who in the Pac-12 South can they not play with? Right. I think they could play with all of them. Do you think – do you – if we, we're going to be gaming out the, uh, the SEC East later on in this episode, you know, where, where do you see Colorado – you think they can hang with everybody, but if off the top of your head, you know where would you power rank them in that division? I would say, I would say some like I still am holding out sort of this uh, this hope, I guess, that USC will will pull it together and, and look like the team I thought they'd be. Are you going to throw a lock but on I mean, USC plus three? Oh hell no! I'm not touching USC for a little while. <laughs> I'm gonna let them. I'm gonna let them sort this all out one way or the other <laughs> <laughs> before I before I go making any bets on them too. But I think ultimately, to me, they look like right now the third best team in the South, but behind USC and Utah, just ahead of Arizona, clearly, or just ahead of Arizona State, clearly ahead of Arizona and UCLA. But again, like I think based on the first couple weeks of the season, I'm just I'm just banking on a USC starting to look better. But based on the first couple weeks of the season, I think they have the best resume. They what they put on film is better than anything in the Pac-12 South. So you, I think you can make a case right now they're the best team in the South. I really do. Talking about players that are buzzing. Um, I'm gonna keep it in the Pac-12 South for my nomination. How about Merlin Robertson, Arizona State yeah. linebacker? True freshman, dude. Like it showing up in that game. Um, I also had on my pad from that game. Uh, how, how about this former Ohio State uh, defensive lineman Darius Slade? Yeah, he showed up there with a forced fumble, and he's not even he's not even listed as a starter. And I don't even know if he's getting much burn right now. But I, you know, when was that we, the dude that just just absolutely demolished the UCLA center? Or not the UCLA Center, the Michigan State Center on the um, uh, on the on turnover. One of those short yardage plays, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that was impressive. Um, and so I was like, oh damn, that's a like former Buckeye right there. And so uh, Merlin Robertson, though, I think was the real star of that game for Arizona State's linebacker, Arizona State for Arizona State. And so as I'm I'm looking at at that defense, you've got 
uh, some quality guys up front. They're flying around at the linebacker position. The many compliments we've given to Arizona State, I feel like Merlett Robertson is one of those stars uh, that we might be able to see as an all Pac-12 caliber performer by the end of the season. Uh, recruiting matters. Four-star kid. They landed Antonio Pierce, former New York Giant ESPN personality. Joined his boy Herm on the Arizona State staff, and he went out and did work in Southern California. Um, he used to be the Long Beach Poly head coach. He was the primary quarter uh, recruiter on Merlin Robertson. Got him signed, and, and they cut like 20 pounds off him uh, in the off season. And he, he's 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 looking like the truth early on. So uh, yeah, I like that one. Talking about players that are buzzing. Uh, I've got one more from that game, and then I'll throw it back to you. I loved what I saw from Michigan State wide receiver Cody White. And I yeah. I hadn't had him on my radar at all. He's a sophomore, right? I think so. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. And and I just I mean, did you have what what's the what's the bio on on White? I mean, he was a big like he was a like a four sport athlete. Um, you know, he was the type of guy like I want to I'm pulling him up right now to see what we had him rated cuz I want I hope we had him as a four star. Uh, because like those are the type of guys. Oh, because he I did like, like baseball, track, football, basketball. Yeah, he was a high three star. So we so we probably missed on him. But he didn't have much going on recruiting wise. Like he his his offers were you know he didn't he had sort of the mid level big, big ten offers. He had the Northwesterns, the Minnesotas, Iowa, Iowa State types. Um, and Michigan State got him committed, but he had he played baseball, track, uh, basketball. Uh, he's just an athlete. And so and, I, and, and in fact. He might have even played quarterback in high school. I might be wrong on that one, but um, anyways, he came to, to Michigan State and like they, they turned those guys out. And uh, sure enough, like uh, you're right, like he was he really flashed in that game as a guy that is uh, is, is building a pretty good rapport with uh, with Brian Lewerke. Yeah, that's. I mean that it is such. Uh, and it's such an encouraging thing if you're a Michigan State fan who's a little concerned with uh, the state of the season so far after two games. I think that you look at White and Lewerke and you think, well, those are two guys that I believe are all Big Ten caliber players. And if you've got a good connection at quarterback wide receiver that is as good as anybody else in the conference, then you're going to be uh, you're going to have a chance in some of those close games against the best teams in your division. Talking about players that are buzzing. I got a, I got a uh, another another transfer. Give it to uh, me. How about Preston Williams at Colorado State? If you've watched Colorado State play, they, they, that's some fun ball because they don't play a lot of defense and they throw it around the yard. But basically, what they're doing is just feeding Preston Williams, former Tennessee five star ish wide receiver who transferred a couple games in the season. I want to say it was in 2016 that he did that. And uh, and then sat out last year at Colorado State and is is now like I – mean, he, he's, he's been unstoppable at times and absolutely put in work on Arkansas last weekend for that upset. Um, it's funny how – and in the same weekend, Jalen Hurd started his splash season with – hundred and something yards receiving against UTSA at Baylor. It's just funny how all these ex Tennessee guys keep on popping up, whether it's in college or in the NFL. 
as being better than what they were at Tennessee. And it's just sort of speak. I don't know what it says. Whether maybe it says that they really had they really actually recruited pretty well. Maybe it just continues to say like that they just couldn't use them or didn't know how to develop them or what. But um, there were some players at Tennessee now under Butch, Butch Jones. They had some dudes, and Preston Williams is showing that this year. And how about KJ Carter Samuels, who's fine? Like, yeah. like after the first half against Hawaii, it's like he's everything's kind of settled in and he's been just lighting it up ever since. I know. Yeah. I mean, he's, um, I'm happy for KJ because that's a, I remember KJ from the recruiting process. He was a good kid. He, he, he was a good soldier at Washington, waited his turn. And look, he's, a, I don't think he's an NFL guy. He's got some, he's got a long delivery, but he also is a tough athletic competitive kid who's who's slinging around a little bit right now at Colorado State. So it's been fun to watch him uh, have a little bit of a breakout year as well. Um, all right, so I guess that we can't say Cole McDonald is a breakthrough, right? That's already been established. That he has he has broken through as a star leading the Hawaii run and shoot revolution, right? I mean, I guess. He is putting up big numbers. Uh, a Navy and a Colorado State win, and whoever, they beat somebody. Who else they beat? Someone else. It was a New Mexico uh, State. Uh, might have been. Either way, I think he is. He is a. He's a good story. I'm ready for him. To, does Hawaii play anybody? That's they play UMass this weekend, maybe. So I don't know if there's any. If there's going to be any uh, resume building. Wins. Oh no, Hawaii's at Army this week. Army. I knew there was someone up there in the Northeast. Yeah, because they because they've got the. Uh, it's at 6 a.m. local time. Whew, that's a long <laughs> trip too. <laughs> Talking about players that are buzzing. Uh, but uh, I, I wanted to point out uh, Missouri wide receiver Emmanuel Hall. And the you know I kind of felt like I was going into, going into this season and, I, and sort of in my head, it, I've got the, the radio takes. You just kind of formulate these opinions so that whether you're on in San Diego or Milwaukee or, you know, Boston or Atlanta, like you, you just kind of have your instant reaction takes. And for Missouri, for Drew Locke, it was always about, and, and Drew Locke has, has a lot of good weapons. And for me, a big question was, I was like, okay, so who at that wide receiver position is going to end up being uh, a crucial component of the passing game through two, ga- through two games? It appears to be Emmanuel Hall. And what I love about it is that it's happening in different ways, where when they were playing UT Martin, it was just long balls. Like I think he only had like four catches and each one was over 30 yards. But then coming in week two against Wyoming, much, you know, ratchet up in uh, the level of competition, much, much better defense, a defense that, that we expect to be pretty good, especially once it gets back into the Mountain West. Maybe we'll reevaluate that. But then he came back against Wyoming, 10 catches, 171 yards, uh, he was doing screen passes, slants, just working the intermediate. And so when you show me a receiver who's able to show production at all nine routes, then, yeah, man, I, I think that's that to me is the star of that Missouri wide receiving group. And as I'm, you know, we're going to talk about the SEC East later. As I continue to be more bullish on Missouri, I think that Hall is the standout that I'm latching to. Well, uh, he has legit NFL buzz. Um, even last off season, uh, I, I heard some like real, like he was catching the eye of, of NFL 
scouts, GMs, as, as a guy like if he was in the draft last year, he would have been a high round draft pick. Um, and so if he keeps on this pace, I agree, like he's a, he's got a chance to, to really blow up. He's a, um, that's another Tennessee kid. He's a middle Tennessee kid. And, wow. um, Missouri's done a really good job of recruiting this area. Um, and, and they, he was a big, big, tall, physical looking guy who had track numbers and it was just a deep ball guy in high school too. And it's, it's, uh, it's carried over. Talking about players that are buzzing. I'll go. I'll go to the 24/7 Sports True Freshman of the Week this week. A guy named Puka Williams at Kansas University. Running One back. game win streak. Kansas <laughs> University. <laughs> Rock chalk. Uh, yeah. Look, recruiting matters. Chip, recruiting matters. And Puka Williams was a. Now he has some academic. Academic issues. I think there were some people that were wondering if he was going to get qualified, but regardless, he was a four-star kid that committed and signed with Kansas, coming off that ridiculous year last year that Kansas had, and it was thanks to Tony Hole, who's one of the best recruiters out there in terms of being able to recruit to Kansas right now out of Louisiana, and Puka Williams was was like one of the he may have been like the Gatorade player of the year in, in Louisiana last year but he was like one of the most productive players in that state all purpose do everything type of guy didn't play week 1 played against um, Central Michigan and and had like 100 you know 50 yards of, of total offense and a couple touchdowns and and so that powered that win and look man they got Kansas is a favorite this week brother they are like a 5 point favorite against Rutgers I think the first time they've been favored against a Power Five program in something like five years or something, and so uh, Puka Williams is driving that ship. I'll take Rutgers <laughs> <laughs> on the principle. Uh, that's the for Kansas to have finally capitalized on. I mean, because obviously you've been plugged into the recruiting side of it, and I feel like you've you had that steam even going into last year. I did. I hyped them last year. Yeah, man. yeah. I was I was excited about what they were doing and what they were building, and you know, as as sort of I don't know, as modest as that might be, but um, they they disappointed me last year, and and but maybe maybe now we start to see it come to fruition a little bit. Talking about players that are buzzing. Is it a? I'm going to go with the running back too. Is it a uh, assumption that it is just based on system, or can we believe that San Diego State running back Jawan Washington has the potential to put up the kind of numbers, maybe not that Donnell Pumphrey got, but certainly to be a Rashad Penny level producer for the Aztecs in the backfield? Uh, I think. You know, it's funny you say that. Like, I, I hadn't really paid attention to what his stat lines have been. Um, but I did in that Stanford game week one. I did. Like, he, he popped to me. Yeah. Like, when when he had the football, like, there was some there was some juice there. Um, what is So I just pulled up his, his numbers right now. He had 24 carries for 158 against Stanford. Like, that's pretty good. That's better than anything that happened at USC. Uh, and then he had 36 for 156 against Sac State um, and three t- touchdowns. I'm with it, man. Like I think he's that, that they do. He's he's undersized, but he. I mean, 
you can see clearly like the burst that he's got running the football. Um, so I think he's going to have a big year. I, I, I like that one. I think he's going to have a big week. San Diego State taking on Arizona State. I kind of like the Aztecs as Arizona State might be getting overvalued. I was I, I was eyeing that a little bit too. He's <laughs> <laughs> got a little letdown of potential there. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm fade Kansas, fade Arizona State. Like everybody who had a really good emotional win last week, going for the snapback. Yeah, yeah uh, I can see that. You don't want you don't want to be playing you don't want to be playing San Diego State when you're coming down off a high. <laughs> no, not they got they got 36 carries of Jawan Washington and and a front defensive front that's ready to hold you to 2.8 yards per carry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you want to uh, talk about Chase Hansen? I he was on my list too. Talking about players that are buzzing. Oh yeah. Uh, well, I mean, look, I think Chase Hansen, Utah linebacker. I mean, that guy was a really good player for them as a safety. And now that he's moved down to linebacker, um, I mean, he was like the, the what, Pac-12 defensive player of the week last week. Um, I think this, this week against Utah, or against Washington, rather, he's got a chance to really sort of make a name for himself nationally. I think he's, I think he's pretty special. And I think that Utah defense is awesome. Um, and that's that's one of the games I'm most excited to see this weekend. Talking about players that are buzzing. I agree. Uh, what about? I, do you feel like is is Joe Gaziano under the radar? Yes. Yeah, and I, I'm, I was also going to pair Patty Fisher at linebacker with him. Joe Gaziano, Northwestern defensive lineman, just incredible at creating havoc. Just great pass rusher. Got a ton of push against Duke and is already off to a strong season after what was statistically and locally. I mean, any Northwestern fans that are listening right now probably feel like uh, maybe it's about time. I, I don't think Joe Gaziano is a name that is known nationally, but I think he has the potential to be one of the more productive defensive linemen. Patty Fisher, I think he's a sophomore for Northwestern. sophomore, yeah. Yeah, and I, I feel like both those guys in that Duke game, I, I walked up, wrote their names down on my pad. I was like, man, those those are difference makers right there in the Northwestern defensive front. Yep, yep, I'm with you. Those guys absolutely popped. Um, and I'll give you I'll give you two, well, kind of three more. Talking about players that are buzzing. Did you Kellen mean to say Josh Allen? Who's Josh Allen? The kid from Kentucky. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I, I kind of wanted to put like the whole Kentucky defense. I mean, they Kentucky's defense is really fascinating. Like they've got I mean, Josh Allen is a dude. He 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 makes a ton of plays. But you look out there at corner, they got six three, they got, they got bookend six three corners starting. And and Derek Beatty and Lonnie Johnson. They got Chris Westry in there, who's six foot four. Like they are so long and big and athletic on the outside, it's it's no wonder that they've been able to sort of cause some some problems for teams defensively. Um, if that offense could just sort of keep pace, possess the football, I, I do think this defense has got a chance to be to 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 keep them in and win some games. Obviously, win some games. Just beat Florida, but um, I think that I, I kind of wanted sort of a that whole defense kind of a. a an honorable mention or a nod, um, but but led by Josh Allen, who's number forty-one, that just balls out. Um, Talking about players that are buzzing. But then the other one I would say too, and again, 
This one is a little bit more mainstream because he plays quarterback, but if Kellen Mond is the guy we saw on Saturday night against Clemson, that's a total game changer for Texas A&M. That, that totally recalibrates what this team can be this year. Did you not think that that was – I don't remember what the book on Kellen no, Mond was coming I did out. Not, no, I did not think Kellen Mond – now, look, Kellen Mond is capable of developing, but like to, for, to say Kellen Mond was going to be a 420-yard passer against Clemson, that wasn't even in the realm of possibility for me this year. Maybe eventually, but this year, year two in his development, man, I think it's it's a huge resume builder. I mean, a resume bullet point for Jimbo Fisher to, to be able to make that kind of strides with Kellen Mond that quickly. Talented, he has an arm, he's physically impressive, he's athletic, but he had a ways to go in terms of the playing the position of quarterback, and that was a that's a quick turnaround for him. Mm. Last guy. Last guy. Talking about players that are buzzing. KJ Hamler at Penn State, the the sort of midget midget dynamite like super uh, he's going to be just a he's going to be one of the more exciting players in the Big 10 and it looks like they're going to get on the ball in a lot of different ways slot guy there's a bunch there's a bunch of really good freshman receivers that can't find the field yet for, for Penn State and I, I think that's encouraging if you're a Penn State fan about what you've got and what you've developed at the at the skill positions for your roster I think that he's got he has become as exciting as uh Miles Sanders in terms of the explosiveness of that offense. Oh, no question. I think he's I think he's the show right now. I mean, when KJ Hamler gets the ball, that's the that's the the breath holding. You know, that's that's when you're that's when you're like, "All right, let's get let's roll." What <laughs> Just, we got? Yeah, hit figure him. it out, KJ. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh it's hitting him on a on a like a crossing route where you just realize if it's one bad angle, he's gone. No doubt. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah, and he was a kid that came to to, to college a little bit so I mean that explosiveness and, and juice was there, but he was not a, a polished route runner at all, just sort of a playground route runner. Um, and so he hadn't played in a year and a half or something. He, he you know he, didn't, he was recovering from an injury as a true freshman, but somewhere along the way he, he's developed some polish in that game. So I think you got to credit Penn State for that too. Talking about players that are buzzing. All right. This was a this was an idea that uh, that we we were talking about a conversation that has morphed into now uh, an activity that we're going to play out here on the podcast and I hope that you can join along. The question the, of this game show for today is: What will the SEC East look like? Now come on down, Barton. <laughs> <laughs> we're back to the mayhem. Um, we we thought this division was starting to get sorted out. We've got the haves, we've got the you know we've got the upper tier, middle tier, bottom tier. This wasn't supposed to be the SEC East from the last few years, where it's just this big ball of nothing, or just <laughs> who you know. One thing's clear: we've got a number one. Right. We that- have a number one. With an uncontested number one. Yes, I don't feel I I don't feel as though uh, there are many scenarios for the way that this season plays out that does not have Georgia beating every opponent in the division 
And even if Georgia takes a loss somewhere, I do not believe that any of those other teams in the division are good enough to finish with a 7-1 conference record. We are in agreement. Right? Yeah. No, Georgia's – yeah, this is – this is a – this is – this exercise is about determining two through seven. Not even determining two through seven. I'm more interested in just deciding what's implausible. Like, what do we not believe could happen <laughs> in the SEC East after two weeks of the season? Like, it's a little bit – it's it's pretty easy to envision just about any outcome in the SEC East right now between teams two through seven. I think it is implausible that Tennessee will finish at two. Is that the most implausible team? Yes. I th- here's here's through that, no I, I don't I don't know that I disagree with you I think that's just but that's very telling and interesting that we're of the opinion or you are of the opinion that Tennessee is is the least plausible to even over Vanderbilt yes but it's fair like that's that's how we should look at this really because if you think about it why didn't anyone give Kentucky a chance last week against Florida why why didn't they like Kentucky should have beaten Florida last year they should have they're a better team and. And then we go into this year and like all of a sudden like, oh, 14-point underdogs. It's like, what were we thinking? Of course Kentucky can play with these guys. Like they've got a they've, – they, Kentucky isn't a team of world beaters, but they've got a culture in place and they've got some toughness and they've got some talent on defense. And what has Florida proven to us? And so that was, uh, that was an eye-opening game for the rest of the division because of things like don't assume Tennessee's better than Vanderbilt just because it's Tennessee – and now they have a new coach. Vanderbilt's beaten Tennessee. Right. Like they beat them every year right now, it seems like. I think it is more plausible that Vanderbilt finishes at two than Florida finishes at two. Really? Yeah. All right. Expand on that. Okay. So uh, I, I sort of approached it with based on my preseason expectations and, and the way that I saw that division uh, sorting out. I said, I am, after two weeks, my data has told me that Missouri, Vanderbilt, and Kentucky are better than I thought and that I deserve to go back and give them wins or at least a better chance at wins than I had before. I said Georgia and South Carolina, stock steady. Still believe those teams are about what I thought they were going to be. For Georgia, that's obviously... So South South Carolina didn't disappoint you in week two? No. No. Really? Yeah, I put that. I put that back on Georgia. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I can I can buy that. I'm just they did disappoint me a little bit. I thought they were better than that. I thought that they could. I thought, given the circumstances, I mean, obviously, I picked them to cover. But given the circumstances, given the 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 lifespan of of the Will Muschamp coaching tenure there and where they're at, I figured they could put up a little more resistance than that. Um, and so. Is that to so? Do you so? I assume then. I guess I shouldn't assume this. I'll just ask. Do you do you think? Do you suspect that South Carolina is the second best team in the division? I think that South Carolina has a chance to finish with the second best SEC record in that division, if the second best SEC record is like three teams at four and four. So you don't believe in South Carolina? To- I don't think South. I don't believe South Carolina will go 
uh, five and one. I don't believe that South Carolina will only lose one more SEC game. I think that when you when you play it out for South Carolina, there is well, they're going to lose at LSU. They're going to lose. They're going to beat Auburn. I mean, they're going to lose to Auburn, right? South Carolina. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I was looking at Georgia's schedule. No, so I South think South Carolina. They've got at Vanderbilt, at Kentucky, Missouri, Texas A and M. I think that's two and two or one and three. Yeah. Then things when you go Tennessee at Ole Miss at Florida, then think those are where you can come back and get some wins. But I just I play that out and I've got South Carolina four and four. In fact, the only team that I'm looking at with a chance to finish with a winning record in conference play, and this speaks again to just sort of where you know we can have fun with the SEC East in terms of it being a toss-up and, oh, we don't know which way it'll go. But it's also the fact that I've got the SEC East losing most of these crossover games. Oh, for sure. Like, I think Missouri could finish 5-3 and in conference play. Missouri is starting to be the team I'm most confident in to be number two. Yeah. Now, they could trick us. Like, that's definitely a team that is capable of tricking you. But I think with the defense looking better, with Arkansas being a crossover game this year that they should win, I and 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 with Missouri being a team that like you know I I don't know like no one's you've got this sort of rivalry element to a lot of the other sort of important matchups Missouri's just sort of out there yeah no one's got that game circled no one's been like like gearing up for the Missouri game all off season and I think they're just gonna they're gonna sneak up on teams until it's too late to realize this team's pretty good and and then at that point it's like. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of, I'm starting to talk myself into Missouri being the, the second finishing number two in the East. And so, and they do have a tough draw. They've got uh, Georgia, obviously Georgia, but they go Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama for it. Georgia at South Carolina at Alabama for its first three SEC games. It's not crazy. I expect that to be one and two. It's not crazy that they think that might be 0-3, but then Kentucky at home, at Florida, Vanderbilt at home, at Tennessee, Arkansas at home. They could finish the season on a four- or five-game SEC win streak. Right. I think that they – yeah, yeah. I mean, I when you look at – I still think that they're better than Vanderbilt. I think that they're better than Tennessee. I think that they're better than Arkansas. And what Florida looks like at that point, I don't know. And Kentucky, I think, was proven that they're going to be game for, for a lot of teams, just given the defense. So that's going to be an interesting final slate. Um, so okay, so all right, so you, th- so you're most likely number two. Then, is, is, do you think is Missouri? Correct. All right, what? And your most likely number seven, you think is Tennessee? Yes. So where does where does Kentucky? Where, who do you think like forget about the forget about the standings who do you think is your how would you rank in terms of who you think is the best team who you think should be favored on a neutral field how would you rank two through seven right now Missouri two South Carolina three and I might I might pick Florida here. Missouri, South Carolina, and maybe Florida. Even like because you know, favored on a neutral field. I think that if Kentucky and Florida play 
10 times. I don't know if Kentucky wins eight times. Do you? Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to put it past that. I'm going to stop acting like Kentucky beating Florida might have been a fluke. Right? Don't we owe Kentucky more than that? They went to the, to the swap. This is supposed to be a better team. Kentucky, Florida returns 19 starters or whatever it is. I don't want to assume that this is some, like, that they pulled an upset there. Yeah, I'm going to assume they pulled an upset there. Right. I'm just I'm right. I'm I'm gonna count I'm gonna put that on uh, Florida just not having its act together and kind of getting shell shocked by a really good football okay. team that it did not take seriously. All right, but I mean they beat them up. I but I'll give you that. Uh, but I mean so, I think that Flo- so I. What do you think about LSU? You know, all right, okay. So you said let's let's do LSU's this. LSU's better than all these teams, right? So and I I don't even love LSU, but they're better than all these teams except for Georgia, obviously. So I I've got Florida. Kentucky, I've got Florida, Kentucky, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt, I think exist in the same space. And if I was to power rank it, then I would put those South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Florida, Kentucky. Yeah, the the Vanderbilt thing is a big X factor in all this. Because I think on paper, they're pretty good on offense. And obviously, they put up 35 and 41 points in the first two weeks. But the quarterback, if they protect him and they can finally have an offensive line that can protect him, is good. They've got a receiver in Kalijah Lipscomb that's good. They've got a running back in Keyshawn Vaughn that's good. They've got a Kari Blasting game downhill running back that's good. And then defensively, do you trust Eric Mason? I think you know it seems like he's got him playing pretty well through two weeks. So that's like that's if Vanderbilt is a tough out in this division, that that creates a lot of issues. Um, so I don't know, man. Like this is fun. This is gonna all of a sudden the SEC East is just a big ball of chaos again, and I think that's gonna make for some fun because I also think you have to consider the fact that Tennessee will improve over the course of the season. I think they're I think Tennessee could be one of those teams that is a that is markedly better when it's playing at South Carolina, Kentucky, Missouri, and at Vanderbilt down the home stretch than they are when they're getting waxed at Georgia, probably against Florida, and certainly at Auburn and Alabama. How about this for a common thread? Because of Vanderbilt and Kentucky's basic talent limitations, I do not think either one of them will be finishing at number two, but I think that either one of those teams can, or in Kentucky's case have, beaten absolutely anyone in the division beside Georgia. That is, uh, I would, yes, absolutely agree with that. I'm not ready to totally rule out Kentucky from a talent perspective, considering that they do have a good offensive line. They do have one of the best backs in the league, and their defense has a bunch of guys. So I think with Kentucky, it's just a matter of like their quarterback situation has been spotty. Well, Terry Wilson, is he's going to lose you a game this year, but you could argue he kind of won you one against Florida. Like he's, he's athletic enough. But I think that's going to be too limited of an offensive system once teams figure him out later in the year to not to not drop a couple games. So, yeah, I guess that's a long way of agreeing with you. I mean, are, have you? Uh, it's, I would say that my one takeaway from your looking at uh, where you're at here, it sounds like where do you think this ends for Florida? I think Florida's floor is like only two conference wins this year. Yeah, I'm kind of down on Florida right now. Maybe maybe it's maybe there's there's more of a 
culture issue there in terms of toughness than we thought. I, I assume Dan Mullen will get them there. Can he get them there this year? I mean, I don't know. Surely, right? I think that team's too good. Yeah, they got to be too good, don't they? Yeah. I mean, that team is too good to be bad all year. I think so. I think that might have that, that been the best thing that could have happened to Florida, is losing that game. That might be a great call because maybe otherwise they run through that. I mean, they got at Mississippi State, LSU at Vanderbilt. I read that as loss, loss, loss. Come back from the break, Georgia, loss. And then all of a sudden you're like Missouri and South Carolina, neither one of those are guaranteed wins. We can't, no, yeah, yes, agreed. But, but we got to watch out calling Vandy games losses for other teams because we I did this last year. Vandy beat K-State, and I was like, oh, oh no, Vandy may cover this spread against Alabama. And then they just got absolutely cold cocked. Listen, well, touch, I, touchdown Jesus ain't ready when Vanderbilt comes to town to play Notre Dame. We're going to find out about Vandy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't trust those guys, man. I just don't. I think they could be good, but they're – but they're not – you can't pencil in Ws yet, I don't think. We'll find out this weekend. I that. mean, I'm looking at the Commodores. At Georgia, win. Florida, win. At Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> Penciling in Ls, the doors. <laughs> Dudley Field, baby. got to go to Dudley. It's trouble. I think, I think that the worst case – like, floor situation for Florida is – both Florida and Florida State go into the season finale with five wins. That's the you say that's the best case? No, floor situation. Oh, floor situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That could, that could happen. And that game's that in Tallahassee. Happen. You don't yeah. you don't you don't want that to be the case. You want to get if if bowl eligibility is like a something that Gators fans end up sweating come November. Let's let's get it done with that Missouri, South Carolina, Idaho three game run because you don't want it to count on at Florida State. Yeah, yeah, and at this rate, that Florida State deal could be could be a dumpster fire as well. Uh, but I tell you, man, the intrigue is back in the East. <laughs> it may not be it may not be much of a powerhouse conference, but I'm interested. It's got me it's got me hooked. It's it's like the um, is is it almost the the bad reality the bad TV reality show that you just can't help but watch because it's just it's offering you so many juicy storylines between characters of questionable quality? Yeah, the the SEC East is Bachelor in Paradise right now. <laughs> Bachelor, <laughs> Bachelor in Paradise. It's that that is a per, that is a perfect comparison. I have to watch my my wife makes me watch Bachelor in Paradise, and and I just get sucked in. Because you never know, you know, which which you know aspiring model is gonna make an ass of himself, and uh, you know maybe maybe uh, maybe Tennessee's the aspiring model this year, or maybe not. Maybe they maybe they go off and get married this year. No, and, it, and, and find love. <laughs> it's like uh, you get sucked into Bachelor in Paradise the same way that you get sucked into the seven thirty SEC Network game. Like you were turning away from the the big ABC <laughs> exactly. game, the yeah. seven o'clock ESPN yeah. game. Maybe there's even a Notre Dame nightcap on NBC, and you're like, "Nah, bro, I'll be over here on the SEC net watching Tennessee and Kentucky." 
there's a couple of top ten like behemoths battling head to head, and you just can't resist going and watching like <laughs> Missouri. Jordan Rogers is on the call, and you just got to be there. <laughs> oh man, that's good stuff. The SEC is gonna be fun all year. Uh, make sure, by the way, that if uh, that if you are not subscribed right now and you are enjoying this, then like we have free delivery. We have free subscriptions and we have free delivery. So why would you not want to be a part of that? Subscribe. And then every time there's a new podcast, it gets delivered uh, right to your mobile device or podcast listening device. Uh, coming up on the next episode, we'll be checking in with the Dodd father. He's been on a, he's been on a fun little trip. He got what Texas TCU and Texas A&M through that's, the Lone Star State. Yeah. That's going to be a perfect little trio for us to talk about. There's a lot of, there's a lot of juice in that, in that group. And so uh, then, of course, we will also be having our locks. We'll be recording all that uh, throughout the day on Wednesday. And then I will be out on Thursday trying to get out of town before the storm hits so I can be at Auburn LSU. And then uh, we'll be recording on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening to get you the recap. So uh, our thanks to all of you that have been subscribers already. You are the loyal listeners that we do this for. Um, Barton, you can follow Barton on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Barton, thank you very much. Earth.